Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Laughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And today we are speaking with the Scallop Queen herself. Togbron came down from Maine to the GSA office here in Portsmouth to sit in our little Aquademia studio and speak with us about the scallop industry in Maine and kind of how it came back into play when it was kind of, you know, not doing so well and she hadn't... Her she had a huge part into that. Yeah, yeah, she she had a she had a big part of that. So she has some good some good stories and some interesting facts about scallops. And we are planning on having her back again to do a species spotlight on scallops, but that will be coming in the winter during scallop season. Right now we're talking about the main scallop fishery more specifically. So it's a really cool conversation. Get excited. But before we get into it, I want to remind everybody to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get every new episode directly downloaded onto your device as soon as it's available. Follow us on social at Aquademia Pod. If you want to contact us, a few ways you can do that. You can send us an email, podcast at globalseafood.org. Or you can visit globalseafood.org. Uh, right on the homepage, the very top, you'll see an Aquademia podcast section. You can click onto that and there's a contact us form. And lastly, as Maddie usually says, make sure you take the time to rate and review Aquademia wherever you listen to podcasts. Those ratings and reviews, specifically a written review, are super duper helpful for us because they help us get on some charts and kind of climb those charts a little bit so we can get our show in front of more potential listeners and just grow the community and as we've said before spread the good word of responsible seafood so with that enjoy this conversation with Tog, and we will talk to you at the end welcome to the aquademia podcast our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood this is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. We are sitting down with the scallop queen of Maine, (laughs) Tog Braun. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. here. Tog drove down this morning Mm -hmm. in a a mad dash rush. That's right. To come come and record. (laughs) Because I'm so excited to talk about scallops. She came to record in person, which is... Nice to be able to do that again. It's oh, been, yeah. been a long time. Don't need to be remote for this one. It's pretty exciting. So we are excited today to talk about the scallop fishery. I almost said lobster fishery. It's, it's, it, that's how much it dominates. You I know. Maine, you think lobster. I know. We're, that's going to change, though, once people more people try Maine scallops and see how amazing they are. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk all about the scallop fishery in Maine. But before we do that, we're going to talk about Tog. So, Tog. Please give us a quick little intro. Who are you? Okay. What what got you to what you are uh, what you're doing? Yeah. Now? What, how did you become the queen of scallops? <laughs> There's a scallop <laughs> queen. Okay. So, um, uh, my father was a fisherman. I've always had this odd, um, I would say, inexplicable fascination with Maine's commercial fishing industry. Uh, one of my first jobs was at Harbor Fish Market on Portland's waterfront. I just I love dealing with fish. I love you know. I was the first female employee to actually um, kill and skin an eel. Um, I love I love the fishing industry in Maine, and so there were a lot of different. St- I sold trade shows overseas, the European Seafood Exhibition. I always I had many many jobs. I always worked two or three jobs at a time, but the unifying factor to those jobs that I liked the most were they always had something to do with the fishing industry. And so I eventually got my master's in marine policy, went to work for the state of Maine. At the time, there were two resource management coordinators, one for lobster and one for everything else. And I was the everything else. And that just shows you how dominated Maine is. Maine seafood industry is by the lobster industry. Absolutely. Which, which has not always been the case. But uh, anyway, my boss said, Tog, the, there's way too much work to do because you, you, know, you deal with all of these species. But the good thing about that is you can choose which problems you want to solve. And so I quickly zeroed in on scallops. It was a fishery that had at one point been very important in Maine but had been overfished. And at the time that I started at DMR, which is the Department of Marine Resources, uh, really the only regulations we had in the fishery were regulations that were designed not to support the scallop industry, but to prevent interference or annoyance with the lobster industry. So it was a season, (laughs) you know, the lobster fishery tends to be a summer and fall fishery. Well, the scallop season was set for winter spring. Mm -hmm. Um, There were drag size restrictions. There were very few measures in place to help the scallop fishery itself. Um, and I had seen that in the federal scallop fishery, which is further offshore 
they had brought the fishery back through a number of things, including closed areas. And so I thought, well, we, let's try to do something like this in the state of Maine. And so working with the fishermen over a number of years, we implemented uh, some measures to help bring the fishery back, including um, reducing the season length, establishing a limit to how many pounds they could bring in at a time, uh, and establishing closed areas. And scallops grow at roughly 25% per year. So if you had a bank account that was earning 25%, you know, you wouldn't take out the principal. Uh, and so we were able to, to with the combination of the measures that we put in place and the, uh, the blessing of Mother Nature that, you know, gave some good recruitment events, we were able to bring the fishery back. And in the course of working with those fishermen, um, I realized that Maine, Maine produces scallops very differently from the federal fishery. So the federal fishery is basically three, the state, states are allowed to regulate their own waters from the shoreline out to three miles. And the federal, the, the feds. And that's regulate. just in general. That's oh, in general. That's with all the fisheries, just, yep. okay. Uh, and the, the feds operate from three miles out to the 200 mile limit or, you know, the, the exclusive economic zone. Yeah. Um, and the, in the United States, one of the most lucrative fisheries, the commercial fisheries we have is the scallop fishery consistently number one or two in terms of, of dollars that come in. They produce 98% of USC scallops. So Maine produces less than 2%. But whereas the majority of scallops from the federal fishery are produced on large boats that stay at sea for a week or more at a time, in Maine, because of regulations that I helped put in place when I was there, you know, they have to go out and come right back in. So they're coming in with just you know 135 pounds at most at a time that are super fresh scallops that just came in contrasted with the federal fishery where they're at sea for a week or more at a time. They store their scallops in cloth bags buried in ice. The ice melts over the course of the trip and the scallops absorb it like little sponges. Mm -hmm. So even if you're getting scallops that are fresh off the boat, I'm doing little air quotes here, <laughs> um, they're still waterlogged. And so I realized in the state of Maine, why is our price for these day boat scallops that just came in being, you know, being set by this offshore fishery? And so I started my business to help differentiate Maine scallops because they are so very different from the scallops that you that are produced in the federal fishery. And what That's is, a long story of how I got to be the scallop queen. So. What is what is that business? Make sure that Down we're... East Day Boat. So I I have a direct to consumer e commerce site, so folks mm -hmm. can go online and purchase the very best scallops in the world. Now, when I go to a restaurant mm -hmm. anywhere, but specifically in Maine, where we live, a lot use of guys up yeah, use guys <laughs> up north. Uh, I notice. There's a lot of pride in marketing techniques in in how you label the seafood that you're buying. Mm -hmm. And maybe that is targeted to the tourists because we have plenty of them that are coming up and they want, as we kind of mentioned, lobster. Come to Maine, you want some lobster. But there's a ton of other things that we're pulling out of the sea mm -hmm. or farming up in Maine. Delicious things. Yes, delicious things. And they, they're labeled as such. So are scallops similar? I mean, have you, have you been working at all with... Even just throwing Maine scallops on, I mean, is that is that part of the well, process? First just... of all, if you're in Maine now, you have to call it Maine scallops because, you know, if you want to be a true Mainer, you okay. got to call it a Maine scallop. <laughs> well, actually, so when I first started my business, the name was Maine Day Boat Scallops Incorporated, and I still am incorporated as Maine Day Boat Scallops. And I eventually had to change my name to Down East Day Boat because so many other companies were calling their scallops Maine Day Boat Scallops. I thought uh, you were going to say because alliteration, of <laughs> and I couldn't trademark the name. And, I, and and I get it; it is a day boat scallop from Maine. Um, but unfortunately, some of the companies that were you know that were labeling their product Maine day boat scallop were selling trip boat scallops. Um, so I couldn't control the quality, so, um, and so I switched to Downey's day boat. So there are there are attempts to extract more money from tourists and others by claiming that you're selling something that you're not actually selling. Is that what you're getting to in terms of? Dry scallops and diver scallops and all that. Or? I guess. I mean, that was. Uh, I wasn't sure at what point of our conversation we would get into this. <laughs> so, I don't really know the difference of all of those. Okay. To me, when I go to a restaurant, I look for sea scallops yep. because they're bigger and typically have more flavor than a bay scallop. Mm -hmm. At least that's what my father. That's how yep. he educated me. Yep. Justin, do not buy bay scallops. Buy sea scallops. Yep. And I don't want to bash the bay scallops because. They no, have a lot of, yeah, they're tasty and you can cook bay a lot with and them. Pecanic Bay scallops are very tasty, but a lot of what you get that's called Bay scallop are um, imported from China or Peru or other places. And so uh, just some information here that I saw that I wanted to ask more questions about were 
What's the difference between a day boat, a day boat scallop, diver scallop, dry scallop, dry cut scallop, and farm scallops? Okay. So all those, those are the, what do you call them? The four, the four five D's, D's and four the D's. Yeah. Um, okay. Four D's and an F. That's right. <laughs> four D's so and an F. The, it's the, a good band name. <laughs> so I don't want to get too much into the weeds because I can get a little obsessive about scallops. So just like pull me back if I get too far into the weeds. Oh, right? no. Just so, go. Just so <laughs> let her rip. The federal scallop fishery, which takes place from three miles out to 200 miles, they produce 98% of U.S. sea scallops. Of that 98%, 95% are caught by trip boats. So the way that they're regulated is by the amount of time they can spend at sea. So they want to maximize the bang for their buck. So they're staying offshore for a long time. They don't want to steam 10 hours to get somewhere fish for an hour and then come back. If they have to be charged that 10 hours, they're going to stay out there for a while. Mm-hmm. So they stay out. I don't know what the average is now, but somewhere between seven and eight days is their average length of their trip. So as they catch their scallop, they put them in cloth bags. They bury the scallop, the bags in ice. The ice melts over the course of the trip and the scallops soak that water up. So when they unload their scallops, which are perfectly good, you know, they're decent scallops. I have had trip boat scallops before. They're not anything you're going to scoff at. But when they unload their trip, they're unloading thousands or tens of thousands of pounds of scallops that have an unnaturally high moisture content Mm -hmm. that are also, or or they can have that, you know, if they're stored the way they usually are. And they can be a week or more old. You know, not all of them, but some of them. Can I pause you before you Mm -hmm. go on to the next one? Because I have a question about that. Mm -hmm. Is that economically beneficial to them because of, are, are their prices based on water weight? Or dry weight, or if, yeah, they're paid by the pound. Yeah, so that's so they're almost getting more money. That's almost more. It's better for them because oh, yeah. they're just getting more money for a right. waterlogged. I don't want to say waterlogged product, like you said. I'm sure they're perfectly fine products. Yeah, I don't want to which, diss them, and that's because that's you know you need different types of scallops. Like there is there is a demand for a lot of scallops, and they produce. They are all about quantity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my what I produce or what, what my fishermen produce, it's it's more focused on quality, but they produce a, a fine product and. The reason they store them in bags is they scallops, especially in warmer ones, it's off-gassing. They release gases as right, they age. Right, right. And so that they need to allow that gas to escape. And so it comes out through the bag. And if you had them in a plastic bucket, which is how we store them in Maine, then, you know, I've actually had scallops stored too long in plastic buckets. And you open it up and it smells like diesel. Um, so you don't want that. But that's because they're old scallops that have been rotting in a bucket. You, you don't want to do that ever. So 98% comes from... The federal fishery of that 95% comes from the trip boats. There's a small component of the federal fishery, which are day boats. And they're called day boats because they can only get, depending on where they're fishing, 600 pounds or 800 pounds at a time. So they go out and they come back in within a day, maybe two days. So they also store their scallops and cloth bags buried in ice, but they're only going to be stored there for 24 hours or so. A shorter period of time, right. That's what a, a day boat scallop is. So you also have, in Maine... Because we can only go out to three miles and we can only get 135 pounds at a time, I mean, they're going out for three-hour trips. Also, because we only fish in winter months, then, you know, you don't need to have ice on board except at the, at the tail end of the season. So we store our scallops in those plastic buckets, buried in ice if necessary, but the ice can't get through the bucket. Um, so that's, you know, the day boat fishery, the smaller boats in the federal fishery, and Maine, we are all day boats. Diver scallops should be, one would think, harvested by divers. There's a very small percentage of sea scallops that come from divers. So Maine produces less than 2% of all sea scallops in the U.S. Divers produce less than 5% of Maine scallops. Mm -hmm. Now, back in the 90s... um, Let the listeners do the math on that. (laughs) (laughs) Back in the 90s... Pause the show. um, You know, Rod Mitchell at Brown Trading really um, shone a spotlight on Maine diver scallops. And at the time, the federal fishery was overfished, so they, they weren't producing a lot of scallops. Now, the, the, federal, the, the federal regulators regulate in a way to basically get more large scallops. But at the time, that wasn't happening. So a lot of these trip boat scallops were smaller scallops. The scallops that were, that were harvested by divers, if you're going to go down there, you're going to get the big scallops if you can. So diver scallops tended to be larger. But there was still a very small amount overall that mm-hmm. was coming in. We're talking, you know... 10,000 pounds you know, back then, but they were the larger scallops. And so people started to look at large scallops. They called them diver scallops. And they had this, um, this idea that they're, more, that they're more sustainable. Now, obviously, you just think about it. You're not dragging a dredge across the bottom, you know, the ocean mm-hmm. floor. So in theory, it is more sustainable. It's not quite that 
black and white, actually, because when you have divers and draggers working together, well, the divers tend to harvest the popular, the um, the what the draggers call broodstock sanctuaries because they yeah. don't want to you know pick them all over the place. They want to go to where there is a large concentration. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an area that could be a broodstock sanctuary that's producing lots of little babies. So we won't get into those weeds. But basically, what the important part of this is, diver scallops were looked at as larger scallops. When the federal fishery came back and was producing more large scallops, some unscrupulous dealers realized they could just call those large scallops diver scallops and they would come in at a much higher price. Mm-hmm. And so when you see a diver scallop on a menu, if it's not during main season, which is December through April, it's almost certainly not a diver scallop. And even if you do see it from December to April, it's pro- almost certainly not a diver scallop because we produce it's, it's so just few. Big. <laughs> it's just big. And it, there's actually a reputable agency that is an advocate for sustainable fisheries that defines a diver scallop as um, a scallop with less than, you know, less than 10 scallops to a pound. A U10 can be called a diver scallop. So it's essentially meaningless. So people think. Well, that's not confusing at all. <laughs> they think People think that they're really doing something good for the environment and they're getting a higher quality product when they select a diver scallop. But. Even more than nine times out of 10, I'm going to say 98 times out of 100, what they're actually buying is a scallop from the trip boat fishery that is labeled diver scallop. So our show is here to educate people. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what we're doing right now. I'm learning a ton. And this is hopefully fueling people's brains to ask some of these questions when they're they're getting Mm -hmm. scallops. Uh, Things that I wouldn't ask because, again, I had... It was the two-question rule of, is this a bay or a sea mm-hmm. scallop? That was, that, that was it. Which normally you don't need to ask because it's on the menu. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. But now there's even more questions that you could ask. And we fuel all sorts of conversations about other species of fish or shellfish that you're eating. Like, was this where was this? Was this farm-raised or wild-caught? What, although we don't really want people. We want people asking that. But more importantly, was this su- sustainably Oh, that's such but, a hard question, <laughs> yeah. Res- but, and, uh, Responsibly sourced. Yeah, responsibly yeah. sourced. I had a couple questions mm-hmm. that just came up from what what you were just talking about. One is, uh, the beginning of the show, you talked about bringing back the scallop industry mm-hmm. from, from the from the brink, yep. and, it, and it's thriving. How do you compare some of the... Could you talk about some of the regulations? So you're talking about divers going down years ago, and mm-hmm. the, typically they would bring back plump, big, large, scallops, large yeah. scallops. Are there size regulations? So you're, br- I mean, because you're bringing in like lop- lobstermen have size regulations, yeah, but they they're not bringing in how super many? Super big or super small. Yeah, they've right, got yeah. a, but, yeah, And they also age. don't have to sift through thousands of, I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know, I'm not a lobsterman either, but I feel like they're, how are the two fisheries similar with the types of regulations um, yep. Is one of my questions, mm-hmm. and the second one. No, let's just start with that one because okay. I lost my train of thought for I'm the gonna, second question. <laughs> I'm going to do a one just uh, a, on the subject of that you started of like how do people know that they're sourcing something responsibly? I'm going to mm-hmm. get to a one's comment there, and then I'll answer your question. My favorite way to know that you're going to get a really good quality product is to ask your server or your fishmonger who caught this. You want as few steps as possible between the producer and the consumer. So. If, you're, if your fishmonger can't tell you the name of the guy that harvested it, then they can't always do that. If they can't do it, it doesn't mean that you're getting stuff that's not sustainable. But it's a good indicator. If they can tell you the name of the guy that harvested it, you're probably on the right track. Yeah. Like all my scallops are labeled with the, the, the name of the fisherman, the name of his boat, the area they were harvested, and the harvest date, which is something that's rare because most people don't want you to know when it was harvested. Fish actually has a longer shelf life than people realize. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and most people... When you're getting, you know, scallops in the grocery store can be 12 days old. And if they're handled right, they're fine. But that fishmonger doesn't want you to know they're 12 right. days old. Um, I ship within 24 hours of harvest. That's why I have my tagline, taste the difference a day makes. So there's that. But the question that you had about sustainability. One thing that the lobster fishery and the scallop fishery have in common in Maine. In Maine, we have small boats. So there, this is the Maine does not by and large have industrial scale fisheries. Yeah. They're one man, one boat. You know, he's maybe got one or two helpers on board. The they're actually the the scallop season was designed to complement the Maine lobster season. Most of the guys that have scallop licenses also fish for lobster, so they'll yeah. fish from lobster. So they can from, go all year. Yeah, so they'll they'll fish from lobster from you know say June through December, and then they'll fish for scallops from December through March or April. 
I'm, I'm not sure how interested your listeners are going to be in the various minutia details mm-hmm. in, in which you'd you know, be surprised. Yeah. Actually, okay. our, our, our listener base is primarily people within the industry, okay. so they are in. They, they want to get in the weeds. So. so you know, the lobster fishery. One of the reasons that it's successful is is co-management. There are seven lobster zones in Maine, so each area has slightly different uh, regulations that were designed by and by and with the lobstermen, so that they can tailor their regulations to suit the local conditions because the type of lobster fishing that goes on in Casco Bay is very different from the, the lobster fishing that goes on in Gouldsboro Bay and Cobscook Bay. And so they can they can tailor their regulations to their local conditions. Um, also, you know, the lobster fishery has a dual gauge, so they can't take the real small lobsters. You know, they want to have the lobster reproduce at least once yep. before it's taken in. It also has uh, an oversized limit. So once you get to a certain point, you know, fecundity um, increases exponentially with size. So these large females are putting out a lot more eggs. In the scallop industry, we have an undersize, so you can't take scallops less than four inches. We don't have an oversize, but that is something that the draggers, the draggers and the divers traditionally, you know, fight a little bit with each other. And so, you know, the divers will say, you tear up the bottom. And the draggers will say, well, you take all the, you know, the the breed broodstock. So, but... All of this, both fisheries are managed with a goal of ensuring sustainability and ensuring that the fishery lasts into the future. Um, one of the things, if you really want, I'm going to go, you're probably going to have to edit this out. But So Eleanor Ostrom is, um, got the Nobel Prize for economics, and most of her work was done on, um, it was on common property management and water resources. And so common property management, tragedy of the commons, in fisheries, you have a fishery that's owned by no one, and so how do you regulate it? And so this this one fisherman takes a fish, and if he throws it back, he has no guarantee that he's going to be the one that harvests that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do you regulate that? And one of the things that she came up with, and I'm sure I'm going to be like paraphrasing this, but so you have regulations. There are some people that are always going to abide by the regulations. They're just natural rule followers. You have some people that are always going to break the regulations because they're going to take as much as they can get. But the majority of people are conditional cooperators. So they will abide by the regulations as long as they believe the others around them are abiding by the regulations. Well, in the lobster fishery, for many years now, because lobstermen you know, have a hand in the regulations themselves, there's buy-in. And so by and large, people play by the rules. When I started at the Department of Marine Resources, in the scallop fishery, there were a lot of poachers. There were a lot of guys that, even though they're good guys and would never dream of breaking a lobster regulation, they would never take in a V-notch or an undersize or scrub, you know, the berries off a lobster. They would take short scallops and they would fish in areas that they shouldn't because everyone else was doing that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so one of the things that we did... Well, you don't want to get left behind. You know? Yeah. If everyone you know, else is doing it... And, like, and if that dub over there is going to do it, why should I make less yeah. money? He's just going to come behind me and take it. Right. And one of the things that I am proudest of in scallop regulation and management in Maine is that we were able to restore people's confidence in the regulations. At the beginning, they were very controversial. I got a death threat. Like, people hated what we were doing. And... Then they saw that the fishery was, in fact, coming back mm-hmm. and they're making a lot more money now. And so there, I'm not going to say that there are no rule breakers in the main scallop well, industry, but there's much more of a conservation ethic. And so the percentage of you know, the conditional cooperators are seeing, OK, people are actually you know, obeying the rules. And that's something that's the lobster fishery now and the scallop fishery thankfully have in common of, by and large, the fishermen respect the regulations, which was not the case years ago with the scallop industry. And I'm wondering if that kind of acceptance was a little bit easier because it is in Maine because of that mentality around the lobster fishery. We, we've we talked about in one of our very early episodes, like episode number two or three, um, we talked about tragedy of the commons. Mm-hmm. We talked about the Maine lobster fishery kind of being like a bit of a poster child for self-regulating sustainable fishery mm-hmm. because they just do a really, they've done a really good job with it um, for all the reasons that you just said. And I'm wondering if getting that mentality to kind of switch over in the scallop fishery was a little bit easier here in Maine than it would be in other parts of the country. Well, and this, especially because if of that, some yeah. of those fishermen do both. We're, we're doing both. Almost, right. almost all of them do both. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. Um, you can use the same boat. So. Oh yeah, you can <laughs> use the same boat. <laughs> Change your rigging. I already got the boat. Yeah. I mean, I think I feel like you know it, because they're they've seen it with the lobster industry, and then you start to see how it's going to work with scallops. Like they were probably a little bit more accepting of. Okay, yeah, let's. Let's move into this. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. No, they weren't very accepting. I guess. <laughs> well, no, but, right. But like, would it would it have been more difficult to make that switch over in another 
part of the country. Because at least you have a comparison now. To, listen, right. this is what we're trying to strive for. This is a fishery that self-regulates. Fishermen are keeping other fishermen in check because it's what's what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. So we need to take that example and move it to another fishery that, you know, was at a br on the brink a decade or so ago, and and it's starting to come back. We need to have these regulations. You, we're not out there with cameras. On, monitoring all this you you have to have you have to be doing what's right in order for, think of the long-term mm -hmm. um outcome right? um like, it's a reasonable question i i just don't feel like it happened that way i feel like what we had to do is we had to strong arm in, strong really? arm them oh, into it oh yeah they, people hated it there was this one meeting i remember in ellsworth where so i I would always bake cookies for the scallop advisory councils, and I remember there was this one meeting oh, that's smart where idea. we had <laughs> we had just shut the fishery down. So we we no more cookies. We had the scallop <laughs> advisory council come up with a closed area option, and we expected it to go through before the season started, and it got voted down by the DMR advisory council. I won't get into that, but because of that, like we knew we were over harvesting again, and so we were the the department of the commissioner of marine resources has the power to shut a fishery down through an emergency measure. And so we shut it down in the middle of the season. Mm. And then we had this meeting. And I remember it was at the Ellsworth City Hall. And it was overflowing with angry scallop fishermen. And I was up at the front of the table with Dana Temple, who was the chair of the advisory council. And my boss and, and his boss were in the audience. And you could see they were petrified. Like, what's going to happen? And I had, had baked five batches of cookies for that event. And the guys were so pissed they wouldn't eat them. Like, these are fishermen. <laughs> they wouldn't eat cookies because yeah. they were so angry. <laughs> and we were all, like, tense. Like, what's going to happen? Because with these meetings, the first person to speak often sets the tone. And if it's some wahoo that gets up there and just screams, oh, riles then everyone it's going to yep. go off. Oh, there's none of those people in there. <laughs> and I remember <laughs> Farrell Beal stood up, and um, and he was a good guy, so I'm like, this should go well. And he had one of my brownies in his hand. He said, I just have to say, this is the best goddamn brownie I ever had. <laughs> and it set the tone, and it was actually – so the, and the meeting went okay. And we actually had – it was – that was sort of – that disarmed the, the yahoos, but – now I've forgotten where we were going. Oh, yeah, so strong-armed. And so we talked about uh, bringing them along, and then one of them said, you didn't bring us along. You, you, know, you held a gun to our head. And we're like, yes, we did. And like sometimes you need to do that. Like We're not going to be able to get you to come along with us, so we're going to hold this gun to your head and say, if you don't come up with closed areas that make sense, we're not going to reopen the fishery. And so it was initially strong-arm tactics, mm -hmm. and then after a while there was buy-in. So it wasn't – so maybe – the buy-in that came after the initial gun to their heads was able to happen more, you know, a little bit more easily because of the the successful the understanding of the process, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, but no, it was we had to strong arm them into it, and it was really, it was I was not popular. I remember there, so we had these sea samplers that would go out um, to to see what was coming in and port samplers. Mm. To see most hated people on fishing yeah. boats, and one of the ways that you can tell how a fishery is doing is how long does it take to get your limit? If you if the guys like traditionally. Cobb's Cook Bay would open up and all the guys were back with their 90 pounds, that's the limit there, within, you know, two hours. Well, as the season goes on, it's 11 a.m., it's noon, and that means that they're they're harvesting too much of the resource. So one of the, the port samplers came back and told the commissioner, under no circumstances should you ever let Togue go to this, you know, to Pembroke, <laughs> because all he heard were just people talking about me in Pembroke right, in not right. very nice ways. But anyway, <laughs> that's in the past. Well, and it's really easy for us, me specifically, just to sit behind this mic and and talk about you know what's good for a fishery because we want it to be sustainable but it's harder for me to see it it's not harder but i understand people are doing this for a living oh god yeah and so it's it's one thing not for just someone for behind a living a like it is their life it is their yeah. life is yeah. defined some of it is just it's their identity the, the family it's... bloodline is just my father did it i'm doing mm -hmm. it and it just and, and, and how it dare continues. you tell me i can't do yeah. it right i i feel like maybe people in other parts of the country in the midwest or the, the west coast you know when you see like these movies come out right about like new england fishing towns and all this like and you see that that deep tradition that is not made up by hollywood like that is what it's like right, here absolutely. And, and the romanticism around the romance around the old school fishing in New England is no joke and you do not mess with it. So, But that's also part of the reason that it's so hard to, to regulate. Exactly. Yeah. That's what the, I'm saying. You don't yeah. mess with it. Yeah. Well, and then so you have the – so when I was working at the Department of Marine Resources, we had a good idea of what we would need to do to bring a resource back. But inherently there is uncertainty in fisheries. that You, don't, you can't go mm -hmm. down there and count all of the fish. And so the decisions about what you can and can't do are largely made by politicians. 
And a politician, when faced with uncertainty, when you have a, a scientist standing up and saying, you know, with 90, I'm 90 percent certain that if you if you allow this fishery to stay open, then it's going to collapse. And then you get uh, a, a 40 year old man saying, OK, with 100 percent certainty, if you don't let me fish, my kids are going to go hungry or I'm not going to be able right. to eat my home this winter. They are always going to even if you're if you try to suspend your cynicism and say there are a lot more fishermen voters than there are scientist voters. So there's that element. But then there's also just the human element of I want this guy's daughter to mm -hmm. have food right. and heat. And there's, you know, there's been papers written, Ludwig's Ratchet. There's, you know, looking at fisheries management. And if you always err because of the uncertainty on the side of allowing the harvesting, you are always going to overfish. And that's what happens. And it it's hard to tell a fisherman, I'm sorry, but you can't do this. And it sounds so trite to, or, or elitist to say, well, three years from now, you'll make more money. He can't think three years from now right. because he he's got to gotta feed yeah. his kids yep. tomorrow. And so it's, it's a very difficult thing to do. And that's why more often than not, it's not done. I think that last 10-minute segment was really important to bring some of our listeners down to reality, bring myself down to mm -hmm. reality because – we all want the same thing initially. Like we want a sustainable fishery. The fishermen want that too because they want to make sure they have. Mm -hmm. s they need well, to make they, money. They need that to have tradition. To, you know, if they're if they're sixth generation fishermen, they want six more generations oh, yeah. in their family to Absolutely. be fishermen. So. I've got a friend that's a tenth generation fisherman from Shabig Island. And, yeah. You know, and, and he's his son. He's got two sons, and one of them's going to be you know one of them's a fisherman, and one of them's doing something else. But yeah, you, and you want to allow that opportunity and. And Maine is um, it's such a it's a tug of war. Yeah, back both sides. Mm -hmm. So sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no, 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 that's fine. I have a lot of other yeah. I know directions. you do. That's why I, I'm defaulting to just so. So here's the thing. Justin loves scallops. He talks about them all the time. I can't wait to get you some of my scallops. By the way, and when the season opens mm -hmm. in December, I have to make a confession that I actually have a taste aversion to scallops. I think I got sick from scallops once, and I do not like scallops. <laughs> all right, I, I, if you're willing, I have to. So my my brother. Lived in Japan for years, ate all sorts of seafood, could not stand scallops until mine. There's okay. a different, and then I also. I am always willing to try. I just, I smell them and my stomach turns. Well, That's just where I'm at. Right we now. Will do a, we'll have to do a um, live taste testing. So if something right. bad happens, it's recorded. Yes, you, we'll do it on camera. <laughs> if you can smell your scallops, there's a problem. If you, if you, and honestly, so, and also I had a, I have a very regular customer out in California that likes to give gift certificates to my business to his clients. And so one of his clients called me and said, I'm sorry, you know, Paul gave me a gift certificate, but I can't, I'm allergic to scallops. And so I said, OK, I can get you something else. No problem. But do me a favor. I'm going to ship you some scallops. Just try one, because I suspect it's not the scallop that you have a problem to, an aversion to or a problem with. It's the sodium tripolyphosphates that the vast majority of scallops that you've had have had in them. Right. And so he ate a scallop and he's like, oh, my God, I can eat scallops now. So there is there is obviously I'm not unbiased. I get this. But there is the reason I started my business is because there is such a tremendous difference between Maine day boat scallops, true Maine day boat scallops, and the scallops that come in from other fisheries. And that was a question that you had, right? Yeah, that led to a lot of questions actually based on some of the previous discussions that we've had. But is there environmental factors what make pristine water conditions for the, the scallop fisheries? Where... I mean, we know they're doing it in Maine. We're talking about mm -hmm. it in other places in New England. But how far south can you go? Does it does it matter? I don't. I well, don't know. There, so the scallop fishery, the federal scallop fishery, um, takes place from the waters really off Virginia all the way up to the Gulf of Maine. And with climate change, the the southern ex the, the populations in the south are not doing as well. And mm -hmm. so the, the resource is shifting north. One of the things that I find actually very interesting is is that for some reason, and again, I know I'm not unbiased, but the waters in Maine produce different tasting scallops. So I've had scallops. That's something you see with shellfish across oh, yeah. the board every, but everywhere. people understand it with oysters, right. but they don't realize that the same thing happens with scallops because, you know, you're not going to get that differentiation in a, a waterlogged scallop from offshore that's taken mm -hmm. a week to get to you. But when you get scallops that were harvested the day or two or three before, you really can taste the difference between a Goolsboro-based scallop and a Cobbscook-based scallop and a Casco-based scallops. And so there are different varietals, but they are all really tasty. 
And I think, you know, Maine is the has more uh, is more forested than any other state in the country, including Alaska, I guess, because of the tundra and stuff. And so the waters that run through Maine, the rivers that run through Maine are running through pristine, you know, forests, mm -hmm. not industrial, you know, wastelands. And so <laughs> obviously scallops are filter feeders, as are oysters. And so they eat what's in the water column. They're filtering that through. The, you know, the salinity impacts them. I actually shipped some scallops, some farm-raised scallops last week that were line-grown. So a scallop ordinarily lives on the ocean floor. Well, these are line-grown, and so they're higher up in the water column, and they had a different texture and a different salinity. So not only is there a geographic component to the taste and texture of a scallop, there's also, I guess, what would you call a vertical <laughs> component of what, you know, where they are in the, in the water, uh, pelagic level. In, in the yeah, water column. In the yeah. water column. And you're, you're not going to get this with a generic offshore scallop, but you can taste these differences and, it, and it's funny, you don't have to be a super taster to taste the differences. I um, brought a bunch of scallops from three different areas to some chefs in New York. This was like eight years ago. And for a long time, I've worked at Jay's Oyster. I no longer worked there, but I did at the time. Um, and I would I stopped there on my way down to New York, and it was it was late at night, and there were a bunch of drunk people at the bar, and I had them taste them. <laughs> and these drunk people could taste the difference between oh. a Cobb's Cook Bay scallop and a Casco Bay scallop. So they said. I'm no, sure they, they are. No, they, like, like, they, this one's good. This one's also good. And then, well, <laughs> this and one's good, but like different good. <laughs> and these were raw. These were raw scallops. And then when I brought them to New York City, there I had eleven different scallops. Uh, different scallops. Eleven different chefs taste them, and nine out of the eleven chefs said, "Oh, I want that scallop." And it was a scallop from one particular area. And so each one said that scallop. So it's not a psychosomatic thing. There mm -hmm. are these different yep. flavors. And I enjoy introducing that to people. And I will introduce you to that this December. I was going to say because of the, I'd say infrequency, because I don't have scallops that often, not as, not every day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there are definitely, so there's a bunch of factors, right? Like don't overcook them because you don't want them to be tough. So finding that. That balance, and I think when we do another episode, that's a species yeah, spotlight. I, I have some, we're going to go some into questions that I'm going to save for this. Yeah, I, have a, I had a bunch of questions that I think will be more um, appropriate we'll for that episode. We'll talk about the Maillard reaction and how it's hard to get it if you have a waterlogged scallop because you're steaming your scallop as opposed to searing your scallop. So we'll do all oh. those things. Uh, Is this like a teaser? Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, yeah. A little bit. stay tuned. But I, I have had scallops somewhere in New Hampshire. I don't know what the what the restaurant was, but it was they were fresh, and I just remember. Biting into it and it melted in your mouth like cotton candy, mm -hmm. and the flavor was just amazing. And I have had nothing like that before, ever. And I, I don't. I wish I knew what the name of the restaurant was, but to me, that's that flavor and that texture is exactly what I want yeah, every time that I course. have a, a scallop. So. You've got some dayboat fishermen here in New Hampshire, and and you, the, uh, I know that the new Yankee Co-op has usually some scallops that are. You know, from local fishermen, you know, honestly, the best way to get a truly good scallop is to ensure the best way is to buy it from a fisherman. Mm -hmm. If you can buy it directly from the fisherman, you should. Yeah. And I try not to sell too much in Maine because I don't want to compete with my fishermen. I want my fishermen to be able to sell to consumers. Yeah. Um, but if you can't get it from a fisherman, make sure you buy it from someone that can tell you with the name of the fisherman that caught it. Because and maybe they'll bullshit you and maybe they'll just say, oh, it was Peter Smith. He was fishing in Penobscot Bay. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, he's got it written on his hand. Right. It was. Uh... Um, but you can usually tell if someone's BSing you, you know, but yeah, there is a huge difference. And I, I didn't I started this company without realizing just how much of a difference there is. I have, you know, James Beard nominated chefs, one in particular that said, I can't buy scallops now unless I buy them from you. I can't eat scallops in restaurants because yours are so different. And again, I, I'm looking forward to the taste test because obviously there are people that are going to say this because it's their company. I'm not saying it because it's my company. I'm saying it because I find it fascinating mm -hmm. that there is not, and not only is there such a difference between a main day boat scallop and a scallop from the offshore fishery, but there are so many differences between main day boat scallops. And it's fun to explore those differences and to see which particular varietal you like the best. Um, and the texture is a really big thing. I went out to um, Kansas and Missouri on a little trip to introduce folks out there to my scallops. And I remember I was at a very high-end restaurant and the chef wanted to do a taste test. And so he brought my scallops out. He went out back and he had my scallops that I brought and he sliced them thin. And then he had his own scallops, his high-end scallops. And when he walked into the room, I could smell his scallops. And I was like, Oh, and we had to eat them raw, and I wanted to spit his out. But it was the difference was so amazing. 
Um, and at the time, he's like, okay, how do I get yours? And I was too small scale then, so I couldn't actually supply him. Yeah. Um, my business has grown since then, so I could, but I still, I love introducing people to what scallops are supposed to taste like. I, I sign my little notes, you know, thank you for letting me show you what scallops are supposed to taste like, mm -hmm. because the vast majority of Americans have no idea. And one little story I like to tell is that, so there was a chef that was buying my scallops in New York City. And at the time, he was uh, paying a wholesale rate of $35 a pound, which is a high rate for a wholesale. Yeah. And he stopped buying them. And so the, the, he was asked by the person that was helping me, like, what's the problem? Is the quality not there? And he's like, oh, no. I know these are the best scallops I can get anywhere. They're absolutely amazing. The problem is my customers don't know that that level of quality exists. So if I'm going to pay $35 a pound, I need to charge $60 a plate. If I put a $60 steak on the menu, my customer will assume, oh, it's Wagyu beef or it's like a, yeah. they know there are these levels of quality difference in beef. Mm -hmm. If I put a $60 scallop entree on the menu, they're going to be like, why the hell is this guy charging yeah, right $60 down the street, for scallops? I can get it for 20 yeah. bucks, same yeah, thing. Right. Yeah. And I have customers that say, why are you charging $45 a pound? I can pay $12 a pound at the, my local grocery store. I'm like, mm -hmm. it's a different product. You yeah. know, it's a completely different product. But if, you know, you guys are too young, but when I was growing up, if you wanted a tomato in December, you had this little cellophane wrapped plastic blot of pink, hard as rock tomatoes <laughs> that had no flavor. And if all you've ever had are those tomatoes, you're not going to pay two or three times as much for a beefsteak mm -hmm. sun ripened. But once you've had that sun ripened beefsteak, you are never going to go back. Right. So my problem is how do I get people to understand that that level of quality difference exists. And so I am on a mission. Probably on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's a good, that's a good place to start. Yeah. And it, it, you'll, you'll see when I bring in, you know, the raw, they're so, they're silky, they're buttery. It's almost mm. a shame to cook. When you ask a Maine scallop fisherman, like, what's your favorite way to, to prepare scallops? They said, you know, right off the knife. You know, they're so good when I'm they're I'm glad that raw. you mentioned that because I always wanted to just eat them raw, mm -hmm. but I didn't know if there was some reason why you shouldn't it, it i mean there's no reason not to eat the scallops that i sell raw mm -hmm. there i mean i wouldn't recommend first of all if you can smell it don't eat it raw is what i okay. like to say yep. um but you know you're not going to have the, the parasite problems mm -hmm. as far as i know there are no parasite because the, the part that we're eating is just the adductor muscle you're yep. not eating the entire scallop right. and actually that's a whole other show about i was going to say in the, other yeah, in that, other countries sometimes the they row. do yep. and that's that's actually something that differentiates scallops from other shellfish as well here yep. in the U.S. You're eating is, a very small portion. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, of waste incorporated yep. with it. So, And we can get into that's, why that is. That, like. Let's say <laughs> that, let's, yeah, that was, yeah, that was my, a topic that I was yeah. I, I banked for the uh, species spotlight. So to be continued. Awesome. <laughs> so what is your favorite way to have a scallop? Actually, there, there, are, there are two that I really like to do. One is a raw preparation. So I slice them thinly. So like you're getting all little coin-shaped mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. discs. And I lay it out on the scallop shell, and then there's this Thai uh, chili paste that I smear over it, oh, dear, and then spray, and I and then I squeeze lime and sprinkle it with cilantro, and then crispy fried shallots, so you get a little bit of crunch. And I actually do this. Uh, I'm on the board of directors for the Maine Fisherman's Forum, and we have a seafood reception on the night before the forum, and so I get a big bed of ice, and so I shuck oysters, and then I have this, you know, I overlap the shells so it's really impressive to see all of these scallop shells oh, with this preparation on it so that's and that's people love it it's just really really tasty you've got the the umami flavor uh, you know that's brought out by that chili paste and the crunch and the acidity of the lime and then that odd you know soapy in a bad way but like herbal essence of the cilantro so they all the taste really marry well so that's one the other is another asian preparation where i pan sear the scallops put them in the scallop shell squeeze uh, kewpie mayonnaise, so the thick Japanese mayonnaise on top. Okay. And then I'll use um, coconut aminos teriyaki sauce. So it's kind of a thick, sweet teriyaki sauce. And then again, the crispy fried shallots. So you those are have, my two favorite ways. You do have recipes on, on your my website. Site. Yeah. Are those on there? Yes, they are. All right. I'm going to have to try those. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, raw, like there's just so many good ways. Just simple preparations to let the, you know, to let the flavors shine through. Mm -hmm. uh, there's actually uh, a recipe that I want to try next that I saw on Food 52 for raw scallops in a um, coconut milk broth with lime and fish sauce and soy sauce and then sprinkled with cilantro. That looked really good. I, I like to try them raw just because the, it's easier to perceive the differences between the different varietals when they're raw. Yep. Um, 
And honestly, I actually cooked one. I have, I'm doing a sort of a scallop advent calendar, uh, a countdown to the scallop <laughs> season with a new recipe. It was actually my, my friend Kelly's idea to do a new recipe every week. And so the last one I did um, was a brown butter and caper and lemon sauce on the scallops. And I overcooked them. And they were still good. So, yeah, yeah. they're tough. And I'm like, oh, damn, like, even the scallop queen screws up sometimes. <laughs> um, but they're still good, you know. Yeah. So you don't – the one thing that I really like, scallops are like a gateway drug to seafood for people because – if you're getting really fresh ones, they don't smell f- fishy. When you're cooking, they they just smell good. Mm-hmm. So it's a good way to – it's an intro. And even if you overcook them, don't worry about it. They're still going to be tasty. Like yeah. uh, if you overcook them by like an hour, yeah, you're going to have a little hockey puck. <laughs> um, but most people aren't going to do that. Yeah. So scallops We just, just had an episode, I don't know, a few months ago. We were, I think Elise was on and we were talking about what seafood she cooks at home. And she talked about scallops and – I was saying how I cook them at home. The hardest part is making sure you don't overcook them. But to your point, I also mentioned if I happen to do that, they still are very tasty. Yep. So. It's very forgiving. So what's next? The battle continues, right? <laughs> what, is, what, is, what is in the future for you and your, and your company and what, you well, know, what mean, is in the main scallop fishery in general? Where is it headed? What are we okay. looking at in the future? Uh, I mean, my goal with my business is to, it's twofold. Number one, it's to, it's, it's to get fishermen a better price for their much better product uh, and also to introduce the world to what scallops are supposed to taste like. Like, honestly, I get so many emails all the time from people that are like, oh, my God, you changed my world. Like, I did not know scallops could taste that good. So I want to differentiate main scallops as the vastly superior product that they are. So that's my goal. Um, I also Again, work... unbiased. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I also, I work in fisheries management. I was recently appointed to the New England Fisheries Management Council. So I'm still involved. In, that's my, pa- my passion is actually fisheries management, far mo- more so than cooking scallops or anything else. But um, I, I helped work to be, make the scallop industry in Maine more sustainable. And now I want it to be more profitable for the fishermen. As they say, it's hard to be green when you're in the red. You know, you mm-hmm. want to make money mm-hmm. doing what mm-hmm. you're doing. So with my business, I want to differentiate main scallops. I want I want people to stop asking for diver scallops because nine times out of ten, no, ninety eight times out of a hundred, they're going to be given something that's not harvested by a diver. I want them to start asking for main day boat scallops or or downies day boat scallops. Um, and I want to help the industry remain sustainable because there are always going to be pressures to overfish. Um, so I'm on the DMR advisory council and I'm on now the the New England Fisheries Management Council, and so I will work to you know increase the sustainability of not just the scallop fishery but all fisheries off the you know the coast of Maine and New England. Can you so I know you don't need a lobstering license to free dive down I think you, there's like you can't a limit. Dive. You can't well, not dive. dive but you can You can use five trap. There's a recreational you do need a license but it's a recreational license that would allow you to get um have five traps and harvest lobsters. Okay. And are you going to ask if there's a recreational scallop license? Yep. Well, if there's something similar, like could I throw on some snorkel gear and kind of... There's a recreational license um, that you can get that allows you to harvest uh, a gallon of scallops okay. per time. So, so yes, you can. Is that how you uh, determine like, that? Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, you know, it's usually a volumetric measurement. So I think it's a one gallon. There's, there aren't a lot of them because, I mean, the season to do it, you have the same season. Yeah, as, who's going to go in the water in, when in, it's like Yeah, March. mid-November <laughs> to March. Yeah, but no, you can do it. Mainers yeah. will absolutely yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who does Mainers do? Yeah. Yeah, so there's a recreational limit that allows you to harvest one gallon. Oh, okay. And that I mean, that's eight pounds. That you know, that's you can do it every day. So you know. Yeah, that's that's significant. Mm-hmm. If you live somewhere where you can go out there and brave it, or you can just go to downeastdayboat.com and yeah. I can ship them to you. Boom! See what I did <laughs> there. That was my plan. Is that it would segue into that? There we go. <laughs> Anything else that you want to get out there while you're behind the mic? While we have just you that here. Um, scallops make wonderful Christmas gifts and holiday gifts. And so they should, you know, go to my website and order scallops. And all right, one quick thing is that so I, I work at a, I worked at a bar for 25 years. And so one of the guys at the bar, he was a lawyer and he had to give out corporate gifts. And he said he would always give my scallops as gifts. And he, and he would I heard him telling the people that would sit down next to him because the bar that I worked at is sort of like cheers, like everyone sits there and mm-hmm. chats. He's like, so I give Togue scallops. You know, ordinarily if I give a fruit basket or chocolate, you know, I'll get a card, you know, a few weeks later. When I give Togue scallops, I get phone calls. Where the hell did you get those scallops? <laughs> so, yes, give scallops for uh, your holiday gifts this year. Well, we will make sure to link to your website. Mm-hmm. And if there's anyone that wants to contact you from this episode, can they do that through the website or is through there the another website, way? Or it might, you know, Tog, which is my name, T-O-G-U-E, at downeastdayboat.com. 
And make sure to come back and listen when we have our live taste test so I can show these guys yeah, we should what do, scallops are supposed to taste like. We and should do like varietal. a live video stream or, <laughs> or videotape. I think we can get a little bit creative with that one. Specifically because we're going to hype it up where uh, all eyes are going to be on you. Right, yeah, thanks. <laughs> so if you spit it out, we'll just edit that part out, right? <laughs> well, if and it's live streamed. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. Honestly. We'll part of me wants you to not be able to do it so I can eat all of yours. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> I, I am curious. I'm, I mean, you know, maybe it is. A, my brother specifically could not stand the texture until he tried mine. So it is. I'm I mean, I, I would love to be able. My family love. I mean, my mom has a dangerous shellfish allergy, like EpiPen status. Yep. But the rest of my family loves love scallops. I'd love to be able to enjoy them but i can't now we'll see what we can do, and, you know do and there's no judging if you can't like it, it's i'm really curious to see yeah. this this will be an interesting experiment and if you Absolutely. can't eat it then you know justin can have more of them, so. yeah and maddie maddie will be here for that too so i'm sure she'll enjoy them yeah. as well i think maddie likes scallops i don't know we'll find out we'll find out all right well tog thank you so much thank you for it's driving been down fun. yeah sure and was. uh and coming and talking to us about scallop scallop fishery in maine we really appreciate you joining us and uh we look forward to having you back on for that awesome great i look forward to it as well folks that was our conversation with the scallop queen tog braun talking about the scallop fishery in maine as always we hope you enjoyed it we hope you learned something and we hope you're super duper excited for a scallop species spotlight with tog coming up this winter just a reminder, before we close out, remember to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get every new episode directly downloaded onto your device as soon as it's available. And we are on social, Twitter, more specifically, at Pod. Make sure to check us out. Give us a follow. Also, if you want to contact us for any reason, you want uh, topic ideas, you want to be a guest on the show, whatever it is, uh, you can do so by sending us an email podcast at globalseafood.org or you can fill out a contact us form by visiting globalseafood.org right on the homepage at the very top you will see an Aquademia podcast button and lastly make sure you take those two minutes to leave a quick rating and review wherever you listen so that we can get on some more of those charts get in front of more potential listeners and just grow this community and spread the good word of responsible seafood thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time ciao bye